0: My guest on today's podcast, Jared Daly, could have been a mechanical engineer or even a doctor if he wanted to, but instead he followed his passion and became a journeyman machinist right out of high school. Then he fell into a job 24 years ago, teaching precision machining to high schoolers at South Adams High School in Northeast Indiana, which happens to be the number one machining region in the United States. Jared's classes sound fascinating and challenging, They usually ditch the textbook to do hands-on projects, like build a car engine from scratch using high-end CNC and manual equipment. His mission is to teach kids real skills that will make them elite machinists when they get out into the working world. He wants his students to have the same confidence in themselves that he has, and to be problem solvers, not button pushers. This is Swarfcast the podcast for professionals in precision machining. I'm your host, Noah Graf. As listeners of this podcast know, my family company, Graff Pinkert, has been buying and selling used machine tools all over the world for the last 80 years. Every day while selling machinery, we talk to owners of machining companies who tell us they want to expand their business through acquisition. We also encounter a lot of owners of companies who are ready to exit but don't have successors. This inspired us to start a new business service, Graf Pinkert Acquisitions and Sales, in which we serve as consultants for precision machining companies who want to buy or sell their businesses. There are a lot of business brokers out there who can list your company. But for the most part, those people are generalists. They may not have even heard of precision machining. Another unique thing about working with Graf Pinkert is that we often have a personal relationship with both the potential buyer and seller, putting us in a rare position to evaluate if the two parties are a good fit for each other. Go to GrafPinkert.com to contact us for a consultation to see if your sales or acquisitions needs are a good fit for our services. Mention this podcast, and we will give you a free tabletop valuation of your company's equipment. Click on the link in the show notes. I am very honored to be with Jared Daly, journeyman machinist and precision machining instructor at South Adams High School in Bern, Indiana. Welcome to the podcast, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me, Noah. This is a real pleasure having you. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, education of machining in high schools and, and beyond. And Jared, just tell me briefly where you're an instructor and give me a little background on that.
1: Hey, I'm the instructor at South Adams High School in Bern, Indiana, like you said. Um, we're about an hour south of Fort Wayne about two hours northeast of Indianapolis, you know, to give everybody kind of an idea since Burns, a little, little small town, very small population. Um, nothing like from where you're from. We get students, What's the from,
0: population.
1: Um, I couldn't even tell you it's yeah, you, we have, uh, what three stoplights. <laughs> so pretty, pretty small town. <laughs> okay. Our school, how many that, people are in the high school? Um, we graduate about a hundred per year. So about a hundred per okay. class, uh, our surrounding schools are about the same size, but yeah, we get students and from so, seven different high schools. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. Seven different high schools send to us. Um, so the different schools specialize in different classes. Um, South Adams just happens to have one of their vocational classes or CTE classes as precision machining.
0: I see. So there's these seven high schools, like in your district, and the kids, mainly they go to that specific high school where they're at for their area. But then there's a few different specialties in various other high schools and they'll travel from one to the next for that.
1: Correct. They'll, they'll take all of their core classes, their English or math, science, all those other classes at their home high school. Um, even the South Adams students will take that at you know the big building. We're in a separate building. And then they'll come to me if Mm -hmm. they want to specialize in precision machining, um, engineering, you know, classes like that or careers like that.
0: Now I want to get your story, which is sort of a lot of the story of how this program that you lead came to be. So take it back now. You've been there for how many years? 24 years? This is my 24th year. Okay. So give us a nice um, summary of how that happened. How did you get from... Where you were back then to where you are now. Okay.
1: Um, well, I I was on track to be an architect until I found out that that was six years of college, um, and I knew college wasn't for me. I could have gotten the grades. You know, I was a good test taker, decent grades, and everything, but I just didn't want to go down that path. Um, so my
0: dad was a mechanic for okay. thirty and years. And you were. I'm sorry to interrupt. You were a student at Adams, correct?
1: I was a student at Adams Central, which is just north, um, one of the uh, rivals of South Adams. So uh, when it comes to football and other sports, Adams Central and South Adams are big rivals. But So I took the bus from Adams Central down to South Adams. My junior Mm -hmm. year, I took um, an automotive class at South Adams. And I learned one thing from that class that was most important, and that was I liked working on my own stuff. I didn't want to work on other people's cars. Um, so my guidance counselor Uh. towards the end of my sophomore year pulled me in his office and I was pretty sure I wasn't in trouble. He said, Hey, they're starting up this new class at South Adams and we think you'd be good for it. We looked at your transcript and seen you've taken every shop class we have at South Adams and or at, at Adams central that we think you'd be good for to go to South Adams for this new machine trades class. And I was like, okay, so, um, so I signed up for it. And the rest is history, as they say. But during that class, we toured a shop. Micro Precision was owned by Textron at the time. During the field trip, the older guys in the shop were talking about an apprenticeship. The first time I'd ever heard about an apprenticeship. The more they talked about it, the more I realized, hey, that's what I want to do. Wow, they're going to pay for my schooling. They're going to train me. And I get paid during the day. Wow. You know, what more can you ask for? So, yeah. Fast forward about just under two years out of school, I applied, got a job there. And less than two months later, I was accepted in their apprenticeship. And from there, you knew at the time that
0: college was just not that was not your thing.
1: I look at it this way. College isn't for everybody. College is great for some people. Um, it just wasn't my path. Um, you know, I want my doctor, my lawyer, people like that to go to college. <laughs> Um, in the skilled trades, um, an apprenticeship is our path to success. And for college, we didn't have a whole lot of money. I know now we could have gotten scholarships and stuff like that. You know, I tell students now, if you are going after a career that you need college, you can pretty well find somebody to pay for it at this point, you know, but in the skilled trades, you know, with our apprenticeships, the shops that we work for, um, pay for our schooling.
0: Very interesting. So, Here's something that I'm, to me, it gets a little uh, ambiguous sometimes. The kids that go through your school, if they do go work at a production shop, the plan is for them to become apprentices after that? Or do they come in with skills in order to get right to work or it's sort of in between?
1: I feel my job is to get my guys and gals ready straight for industry. You know, that that when they leave class, they can walk in and be productive machinists from day one. Um, My goal is to train them to be true machinists that can walk in, use a print, use the tools, program the machines, set up the machines, create a good part. Basically, give me a print, get out of my way, let me do what I do. And we do real-life wow. type projects in class, and so I'm constantly trying to put myself out of a job. You know, My job is to put myself out of a job so they can do everything themselves.
0: Okay, so theoretically, if they excelled in your class, they might not need an apprenticeship.
1: Well, we, we can all be better. you know. So when they get out into the real world, they're going to be on different machines, Bigger machines, possibly tighter tolerances, different processes. You know, we are just a school. We have um, several different CNCs, manual machines, EDMs, surface grinders, TIG welding, have our own inspection equipment. We do our own heat treat, all that kind of stuff. But wow, um, it, yeah, in the whole scheme of things, you know, we give them an introduction. But when they go out to industry, they're going to be competing with people that may have never had a class like that. So the technical stuff we get into, that really helps give them a step up. And that's why I took the position when I did 24 years ago because I knew how much it gave me a a head start. So yeah, I am a strong believer in apprenticeships and and my guys will still need an apprenticeship to be the best of the best. I steal that from uh, 4-H, making the best better.
0: Also, to me, it Uh. seems like if they've gone through some preparation before they start the apprenticeship program, maybe certain kids that might have dropped out because they had a hard time beginning with the stuff, they come in already confident. Maybe some of the holes have been filled in and so they can get off and running. Do you think that's something that happens too? Exactly,
1: yeah, because who has a lather mill sitting in their garage at home? You know, so most of the students I get... (laughs) When they come in, they've never seen a lather mill before in their life. You know, so, you know, we still start out with manual equipment. Give them a taste of that. Still use a file. We still go through the basics, but then we get into fourth and fifth axis machining, CNC lays, almost anything you can think of or you can imagine in a in a high school shop. Um, and yeah, the confidence level that that is a big part of it. And since they've never seen it before, and yeah. since so many schools don't have quote unquote shop class anymore, um, they don't even know what metalworking is until they come in. So. Yeah, I I like that you said the confidence, because that is.
0: Yeah, well, I I could just see like, all right, somebody, first of all, it probably makes some people know if they're interested or not in it. It also, I could see sometimes you start something new and it's a challenge and some people just kind of go, ah, never mind. But if they've already got a background, they've already got a confidence, they already, maybe they know that it's something they're interested in already. Maybe they're less likely to just wash out right away.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the students sign up. It's they've heard about it through the grapevine, seen their friends or, or their other students in their school bring back projects and stuff that we've done and, or seen us on Instagram or the different projects in different aspects. And so they kind of see that and, hey, I think I want to do that. And one thing we really stress, and I'm sure you know most of your listeners know that math <laughs> is a strong part of machining. So we have some math teachers that help us recruit the right
0: students uh, to get in there too. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, let's take it back because the evolution of this course that you instruct, I think it, it seems to correlate a lot with your own path. Okay, so we'll take it back. You said you took the class when you were a junior or senior. You went to work, became an apprentice afterward. Then what happened? Okay, so uh, my senior year, I started the class. Um,
1: We were the first class at South Adams, you know, so it was with a a new teacher. Uh, He'd taught classes like this before, but at South Adams, he was a new teacher. Um, new advisory board, you know, new to South Adams. Um, There's 12 of us in that first class just in the afternoon. I'd started machining at Adams Central, but they only had little South Bend lathes that barely worked, a Bridgeport style mill that kind of worked, <laughs> and a mm-hmm. surface grinder that nobody knew how to use. You know, So once I get into that class, I was able to be a teacher's aide you know, back at Adam Central, and and help get some of those machines going again. And then one of the local printing companies needed a maintenance person, you know, that could do machining. So they contacted the school, and I actually had to wait um, until after Thanksgiving weekend. To start, so you were had, still you were
0: still a student at the school, but you were also being a special helper in the class. And then you got while in school, they you got contacted by somebody who needed someone. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the, yeah. The company contacted the teacher, you know, of the machine trades. Um, Steve Tumbleson is his name, and they said, "Yeah, we've got you know a couple that may be interested." So he talked to me about it. So I waited till that Monday when I turned you know, after I turned eighteen, so I could actually start. Which, <laughs> And so I started working in the maintenance department. Basically, I walked in great people there, but, you know, it's a, a printing company. So newspapers have to get out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was back when there's newspapers. <laughs> and so it was, hey, we need 12 of these nylon rulers. There's a lay tools are over there. I got to go fix a machine. It's like, uh, OK, <laughs> I'd never That's used a carbide, new- but before. it's a great nylon. Oh yeah. Yeah. I never, never machined nylon before. And the lathe was a lot more complicated than what we had in class, but Hey, it was either learn how to do it or leave. And so I figured it out and they kept me. So um, I stayed there until right after graduation and then went to another shop that was starting a new machine shop. It was a parent of somebody I graduated with that was starting a machine shop and wanted me to interesting um, to try to get their machine shop going. And so, uh, I so went they and knew did, you were
0: already an ace. That's why they uh, said he can I don't figure know about out an things, ace, but bring him yeah. in.
1: Yeah. I, I grew up in a family where we didn't hire plumbers. We didn't hire electricians. We did everything ourselves. Uh, so, like
0: total opposite of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, it takes all kinds. So you probably like being behind the desk a lot more than I do. So uh,
0: so. I mean, <laughs> who likes being behind a desk, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. but There's I, got to be some people because aren't... they
1: keep our businesses going, and and I'd rather be running machines.
0: I mean, I think I like somewhere in between. I'm definitely the guy that needs to hire the electrician, but I also feel like I'm an animal and I need to move around. So you were helping starting this machine shop. You're what, yep. 20, 21? Uh, I would have been 18 when I first started there, but... The wow. teacher I had at
1: Machine Trades, he did a great job of teaching us the basics, um, teaching us concepts. You know, and that's what I, I still try to stick with is not this is how you do this, is this is how you would do this or something similar to it. You know, if if that we always te- sense. if we always teach concepts, it doesn't matter what the parts are, you know, so we can make whatever part then. I learned how to use the machiner's handbook. I wasn't afraid to ask people questions. Um, So I started to get a pretty good network of machinists that I knew that I could ask them questions. Right across the road, there's machine shops, uh, a bigger machine shop, so we could go pick their brains at times, too. Definitely a God thing that helps us get through those things.
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, well, it, it sounds like you have so many qualities that really would help somebody, you know, excel in anything. You've got the contacts, you know how to think You understand the whole idea of not just learning how to do this one thing. I want to learn more about the story, your story, but I want to pause on that. Do you feel like in a lot of trade schools, I mean, I should know more about it, but it's still very vague. You know, when you hear about trade schools and apprenticeships, et cetera, I think apprenticeships are probably different. Do you think a lot of it is is just very like, for lack of a better word, mechanical of this is how you run this and this is the step-by-step of how you do this program and run this machine and people kind of get a little bit one-dimensional uh, as opposed to this is how you learn how to think and look at it all holistically. I mean, I think that's a big issue in regular traditional education as well. But I'm wondering if in the trades, if that's something that happens where it's just like, this is how you operate this machine. And then people sort of almost become robotic.
1: When I talk about an apprenticeship, I'm talking about a registered apprenticeship through the United States Department of Labor. Um, mm-hmm. The Just the word apprenticeship is overused. Yes, shops train, but a, a registered apprenticeship, it's documented training. It's structured training is so much time at each machine, you know. So not just hey, this is how you do it, but now you've got to prove it, you know. So it may be, you know, just throw out some numbers, maybe three months, six months, whatever of CNC lathe, you know. So after that amount of time, you should be pretty darn good at a CNC lathe, you know. So once you get that quote-unquote mastered, then you move on to the next department or the next area. When I went through my apprenticeship, it even included engineering. It included going through the assembly area where we assembled the machines, connecting rods to pistons for engines, um, is where I went through mine. It, it even included shipping and receiving for, you know, I think it was a week or something like that, and inspection area. So it, a registered apprenticeship has to include more than just standing at one machine for four years.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay. So that, yeah. see, to me, that's a great thing because it yeah. really... It enriches your brain. I mean, I'm a believer that at any age, you can learn a great deal. But I think, you know, when you're that age that you're talking about, that you had yours. Yeah, I could see all of that really developing you as far as learning how to think, etc. I just think that people are very caught up in this is how you do this one thing. Do you see that as a problem in training? I have had that discussion with several human
1: resources people and and people of, of that nature recently that how do you get somebody to believe that they can run any machine they look at? You know, how mm-hmm. is it that somebody can jump in a Ford and drive it and then jump in a Toyota and drive it and, and jump in a Chevy? Yeah, what do you know? Yeah. But yet when they see different machines, they kind of freeze. That gets me because... Give me enough time I'll figure out any machine. Give me the book. Give exactly. me Exactly. Give me a few people to ask and with tech support nowadays for all these companies, you look at the stuff you sell, there's support for all that. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got the answer.
0: And I think so that's that's, a, that's for me, it's frustrating as a machinery dealer cuz mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, it's a Swiss machine. Come on. Oh, this has got Fanuc control and this has got Mitsubishi control. Like, yeah, you can learn that or whatever. <laughs> yeah, feed holds <laughs> feed. They, hold, they both have Fanuc control. Yeah. yeah.
1: You got to be willing to go play with the machine and, and not be afraid to hit the wrong button. You know, just make sure you know where the emergency stop is. Do you
0: think that people are are afraid of screwing up and that's why they are afraid to learn some other system? Maybe they aren't given that comfort level.
1: I see that a lot in schools nowadays. That's probably one of the biggest things I've seen over the 24 years is that, yeah, the confidence level of Today's youth um, is not as high on things they've never done before. I think standardized tests hmm. and things like that have gotten them. Um, I tell my students they hear me say it multiple times a week, if not a day, that my goal is to fail a hundred times a day. Because if you're not failing, you're not learning anything. And that's you know I try brilliant. not to hurt anybody or hurt any machines or break any tools. You know, but think of how many times you misspeak or that you say the wrong word or some people will say the wrong word in a conversation and just freeze and freak out. You know, if I misspeak, I apologize. And okay, this is what I really meant. You just little things like that.
0: And hopefully that teaches them that it's okay to fail as long as you get back up. Very interesting. So that's something that you try to emphasize to your students in your class, just the comfort of demonstrate trying something. And yeah. All right. So back to the story now. Mm-hmm. You had helped start this machining company. You're still young, fresh in the, in the production <laughs> world. Your teacher needs you to substitute something at the other school. What, what happened then?
1: That first shop I went to after high school full time, I was there for about, I think it was about a year and a half. And the shop that we toured my senior year, Micro Precision, had a ad in the newspaper back, you know, for the classifieds for the help wanted. Wow. you know, have to explain that to kids nowadays. And it said, must have five years experience. Well, at the point I had about a year and a half, but Hey, you know, what's going to stop me from applying. So what are they going to do? Not hire me. And so I applied and got the job and went through the apprenticeship. And towards the end of my apprenticeship, the whole time I'd stayed in contact with Mr. Tumbleson and he had kind of tricked me into teaching an adult class. He said, Hey, you know, <laughs> would you teach it? I said, no, I'm an extreme introvert. I hated talking in front of classes and giving speeches and stuff, you know, when you had to in high school. And, you know, there's no way I can do it. You know, give me a machine and I'm pretty confident, you know, put me in front of people and nah. And he said, "Ah, you can do it. Um, He just come to adult class and just see how it goes." And so I sat in the back of the class. And the first night, you know, kind of had me help a couple people. The second night, I I showed up, and he was, um, "Hey, you know, why don't you go show that person? You know, he he missed last week, and so it was kind of a live demo." And you know, before you know it, you know, I was kind of teaching that class, team teaching it with him. Mm -hmm. Then the next semester, he talked me into doing a class by myself. You know, so it, it scared me most that I was at the time 22 and there were people in those classes that was old enough to be my dad, maybe my grandpa at the time. Funny. He said, you know, when they walk in, they're there to learn machining and you know more about machining than they know. So that kind of gave me the confidence then to just go in and show them what I knew, you know, show them what people took their time to show me. And basically paying it forward to, to those people wanting to learn the trade. And it was a lot of people just wanting to do it hobby wise. There was a few people that was career oriented. There was even the first class I taught a few high school students. You know They couldn't fit the class in during the high school, but they wanted to take machining. So they came to the adult class, the night class. I was single at the time so you know I had all kinds of vacation days at the time when I was there um, I had five weeks vacation and so you know what's a 20 something year old you know need five weeks vacation for? Um, so I would That's use true. vacation days just to go sub. Could you just go a
0: little further how does it make you feel when you help someone else? does it my my guess is it's more than just uh, I'm giving back. And that's a great thing. And I feel good about that. Is there a certain exhilaration you get when you're with someone you're teaching and you see an impact? Is there an energy that that releases in you?
1: Seeing the aha moment, you know, when a kid's frustrated, can't figure it out, or even the adults, you know, they they can't figure it out, can't figure out. All of a sudden it clicks and you, you can see the aha moment on their face and they kind of see the connection where they can use that, not just in machining or something else. Um, that, that's probably the coolest moment.
0: You know, I I can tell that you have an aptitude for machining and it seems like you also have a love for the processes and how it all works, et cetera. Is there a certain exhilaration though you get from teaching that you don't get from working in the shop? I mean, there's a reason that you've been a teacher for 24 years, 25 years and didn't stay in the shop.
1: I think as when we, we talked Um, before the interview, I said they were talking about shutting the class down 24 years ago, and I knew how much it helped me get started. Uh. Um, So I had to give it a shot, um, see if I could do it. I said I would give it five years. Because um, your teacher was leaving, correct? Yes. Well, they needed somebody. And I had just in the process finished up my apprenticeship. And so I was helping him move machines from the old shop to the new shop. And we was talking the one day and I said, well, if they're going to shut it down because you're leaving, I said, what would it take? And he said, what? I said, what would it take? What would it take for me to start teaching? You know, and so he checked in on it and it was possible in Indiana. For people to go straight from industry, being through a registered apprenticeship that gave me enough documented time and documented training that um, there was one class I had to take on how to uh, deal with the classroom. Um, But I joke around. The only thing I remember from that class is the instructor of that class was lie, cheat and steal to get whatever you can for your classroom. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so uh,
0: <laughs>
1: that is literally the only thing I remember from that whole class. Instead of lie, cheating, and stealing, one thing I found really quick was to have a great advisory board. And our advisory board is mm. talked about throughout the state. Some people's advisory boards are just the the high dollar management level people. And right from the start, I, I decided I wanted people still in the trenches, You know, if I wasn't going to be in the trenches anymore of working in a machine shop every day, I wanted somebody that was, you know, so since then, since I've got so many past students working out in the shops, a good chunk of our advisory board now is past students that's either working in the shops or engineering different aspects. Some of them even own shops now. Uh, So have a great advisory board. Interesting. (laughs) If if you're going to be doing um, something like this, I think my... I don't think. I know my heart is still, you know, on the machines. A uh, mm-hmm. couple summers ago I went and worked for a past student um in a machine shop and a job shop. They needed help. They just got some different machines that they wanted somebody already knew that brand of machine and it's what we have at school. So it was kind of to help them out, but it was mostly to see if I still had it. You know, it's one thing to be around high school students that's just learning the trade. Well, you look pretty darn good then. <laughs> You know, but, you know, going back to the real, going back to the real world. And how did and, it,
0: how did it turn out?
1: Um, they wanted to hire me full time. Eh. You know, it, it still, still crosses my mind from time to time. Sounds like uh, you're an ace. I don't say that because I, I know I still have a lot to learn. I still, if I ever think that I don't have anything else to learn that I know it all, um, they better be putting me six feet under. Because I you were going to say that. <laughs> I think um, that's I so, think that's part of being a true machinist is being a lifelong learner. You have production workers, you have mm. button pushers, but then you have true machinists that, oh, there's a new machine in here. Hey, what does it take for me to learn it? You know, oh, there's another new machine. I want to go learn that, you know, and they're constantly wanting to learn, constantly wanting to move.
0: See, I think if that's one of the things that you're instilling in your students, that's an amazing thing to teach people. I think even me, I mean, I always had. I came up with some of the most encouraging people around me, support system, etc. But there's still always that feeling you get from certain people of, you know, we don't do that. That's not our kind of thing. You, I mean, maybe you should just try to do this instead or whatever. And it sounds like your personality, you know, judging by all of the things you've told me just from your first few years, you know, they said oh, uh, you have to have five years experience for this. Oh, you, you're you not 18. You can't do this, whatever. And you said, uh, yeah, whatever, I'm going to do it. Oh, you're only 18 and or 20 and you're teaching adults. Yeah, I don't have a teaching degree. What do I have to do to teach this class? I'm in awe. I mean, I just think if you can instill that with the high schoolers you teach, just if they can see that, what you did. That's just inspirational. Um, I, I remember when we prepared for this, you, you gave me a quote, a study, something about 96%. Tell me the 96%. <laughs>
1: um, I don't know where I ever heard that from, but basically it, it is that there's 2% of the world population that think of like Einstein or uh, Michael Jordan or whoever, you know, the best of the best of the best. And, you know, so 2% of the population can do stuff that nobody else can do. And then there's 2% that may have mental, physical handicap that, you know, whatever, like severe stuff that they can't do what the rest of the population can do. So that leaves that 96% in the middle. I always joke around with the kids with a different percentage and some aren't good at math, but 90, 96% in the middle that we can do anything that anybody else can do you know, that we all have the same capability. Now, is it stuff we should be doing? You know, that's a whole nother question. You know, so are we following Mm. our talents? Are we following our path that God set us on? You know, that what should we be doing, whether we can we do it or not? You know, could I go be a banker? Yeah, I think I could. Do I want to? No.
0: (laughs) You know, could I go be a doctor? Possibly. Do I want to? No. (laughs) Yeah, but see, this is, that's incredible. From most, most people... Don't say that most people and people that are very successful. That the idea of saying, I could be a doctor or a banker, whatever, sure, that's no problem. Like, I, I don't know if this statistic is true, but I feel like it's truer than a lot of people would think. Exactly. And you tell people that you tell students that, yeah, it doesn't matter what the percentage is, is you know, you but you I mean, just is that one of the things you tell your can... students?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I tell You're the students, that? whatever you want to go be, go be it. And I joke around. I find the biggest, burliest kid in the class and point at him. I say, if you want to go be a ballerina, I want you to be the best ballerina there ever was.
0: Thank you to everybody listening to this. It gives me a real sense of purpose, knowing that people feel they get a lot of value out of the show, enough value at least to take the time to listen. Likely, some serendipitous occurrence caused you to discover Swarfcast. And I know it might get tiring with me constantly talking about serendipity, but it's just on my mind a lot lately. You might have saw a promo for the show on social media or a coworker told you about it. In any case, if you know of somebody out there who would get some value out of the show, I'd like you to return the favor that you received once upon a time and spread the word. That's the only way others are going to find out about it. Back to the episode. And so that is what my
1: parents instilled in me. Clearly. I I grew up in a house that girls can do anything boys can do. You know, I had three sisters and and they can do anything that we can do. It just kind of carried over that, you know, my parents don't have college degrees, but that didn't stop them from being successful. Uh, Out of us siblings, there's five of us siblings. Only one has a college degree and she works at a college now. You know, so (laughs) college was always an option for us, but it was never a requirement. And that's one thing I swore as long as I was going to be at school, I would never get a college degree. Because the first parent-teacher conference I have, and I'm talking to the parents of students, and especially those students that are maybe CD students in the core classes, and I tell them, well, I was making $50,000 a year in Adams County, Indiana, and I didn't have a college degree. And that was four years out of high school, I was making $50,000. What? And I explained to them that, you know, how apprenticeships um, work. Since I've been at the school- Guidance counselors know about apprenticeships now. I've been preaching it for 24 uh, years now. We celebrate National Apprenticeship Week, um, which was just two weeks ago. Cool. I make sure parents, I make sure everybody that'll listen you know, knows about the value of registered apprenticeships. It's documented four years training. Isn't that what college is? Documented four years of training? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's higher ed, basically. Yeah. you know, And then all the people that go to the four-year colleges... They're all fighting over the internship, which is basically like right. an apprenticeship that you might actually have to pay for. Right. Let's go back to the story. So you came to teach at the school. Your mentor has left, and um, yep. What happened right away? It, there was sort of an interesting shift immediately. Correct, in in how things were taught.
1: Um, I went into you the school teaching with, you started with like the book. <laughs>
0: Is that how your teacher taught That's you? How
1: every class, chapter one, chapter two. Um, we went through the textbook, not exactly like that. There was a lot of shop time. Um, when I took the class, it was the first year for the class, so we we even spent time wiring up machines. He showed us how to wire three phase. You know, he showed us yeah. how to level machines, and wow, that paid off when I took over. You know, and had to set up you know the shop the first year. Um, And so now when we get new machines in, you know, I have them ready to go before the techs even come in. So we started going through the textbook, you know, doing stuff out in the shop. But finally, it was right before Thanksgiving that first year and three of the students came up and they said, this isn't working. I said, good, because this isn't working for me. How can we change it? And so we kind of talked a little bit. We went out in the shop and worked. So Thanksgiving break, I'd racked my brain and, you know, definitely prayed about it and everything. And came back um, after Thanksgiving break in the afternoon class to say, "Hey guys, we're going to build an engine. We're going to design and build an engine from scratch." So I started asking them, wow. "Hey, you know, how do you want this part? How do you want this part to look?" And you could hear crickets. So I'd ask about the next part, and you'd hear crickets. I said, "Do you guys know what goes on inside of an engine?" "Uh, no," I said. Oh, okay. (laughs) So we went and worked out in the shop Monday, uh, the rest of the class period. And I went and borrowed a video from our auto teacher on the inner workings of an engine and showed it the next day. So they had an idea of what we were doing. And we basically designed an engine on the chalkboard. Um, Had colored chalk for the different parts. At night that first year, I'd take pictures of the chalkboard, go home. I bought AutoCAD LT, kind of dates it right there. AutoCAD LT 2D was awesome back then.
0: And what year was this 1995 uh, uh no it'd be 2004 thousand. would be
1: 2000 no i i graduated the first class was 93.94 um the first year i taught was the 2000 2001 so this would have been fall of 2000 okay. and so okay so we we went through machinery's handbook for fits and allowances we went through strength of materials we even made a dummy connecting rod and and stress tested it So we went through a lot of the engineering um, and then every student individually made all our own parts for their engine. And towards the end of the year, we were getting done with the engine parts and assembling and everything. And we had one cheerleader the whole time. Um, Our auto teacher, Gary McMillan, he was my mentor that first year. He was my auto teacher my junior year. He was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, you guys are gonna get Jared. an engine running, you know, cheering us along. Well, I'd got all the parts done for the demo parts that I was doing and we couldn't get to run. You know, so he came over after school Jared, one night. I wanna yep. I yep. wanna
0: interrupt you one second. Yep. So before you guys started on the engine and you came up with this mm-hmm. idea, you had never built an engine yourself before, right?
1: Right. Yeah. I'd I'd never taken an engineering class in my life. Um, My dad was a mechanic for 30 years. So you just, but you um, figured, I grew
0: up around it. Okay. So you figured, oh, I can figure this out because your dad was a car mechanic.
1: Yeah. An auto service tech. Yeah. You know, engines are engines. You know, parts work a certain way. Things have to move a certain way. You know, you just have to make sure your clearances are right. So parts are parts.
0: (laughs) I just find it awesome that you would pick to do this, pick to build something with the students when you had never built it yourself. And my assumption is that you learned a great deal about the engineering and everything else as you had to teach it.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and we ended up, you know, kind of making our little handbook, you know, so we had reference from previous years and just, you know, what worked, what didn't work, how could we improve. And this is the 24th year we've done 24 different complex assemblies. You know, so we design a new project every year in the afternoon class. Now we're up to solid modeling. And so it's gotten a lot easier since 2D CAD, you know, of the design. What are the other things you've done besides the engine? It's mostly engines. We've done V-twins. We've done four strokes where we cut our own gears and made our own camshaft. We've done the one year, it was a split project. We did an engine, but some of the kids didn't want to do an engine. Um, and it was a big class. So they broke into two groups. One group did that. And another group uh, made a clay pigeon thrower. So they made all the ratchet system <laughs> and everything for a clay pigeon thrower. Um, so that's probably the most unusual one. Another year, two groups, one group made a engine. The other group made a can crusher. You know, So we made our own, own valving, our own cylinder. Uh, made everything um, for a can crusher.
0: Do you let the kids choose what the project is or do you kind of give them some choices? How, do, how does that work?
1: It, it has to be a complex assembly. And beyond that, it's up to them. You let, we you had,
0: let them kind of brainstorm and vote for it?
1: Yep. Um, we had one year that's, we made a... That's awesome. We, we made a benchtop milling machine. There was one student that wanted to do a benchtop milling machine and nobody else did. And because the big holdup was, could we get enough material? You know, that that was big chunks of steel. So that one student did all the legwork to find a company to donate the steel, donate the the wow. motor we used for the spindle, and we ended up making a benchtop milling machine that weighed, I think, is about 75, 80 pounds. So yeah, I mean it, Yeah, it's it's only it awesome. As long as the it's
0: problem, legal, moral,
1: and school appropriate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the problem I see with the engine versus some of these other things is the engine you're you're not actually gonna get to see well, I guess you could, do you get to see the engine run somehow or? Yeah. yeah, we start all the engines.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, all the engines run. In recent years, we've put videos on our Instagram. This year, we're doing a compressed air engine. Uh, we've done sterling engines. Last year, we did a, another sterling engine. We based it off of a different design and did modifications and stuff. Um, we've done glow what engines. What is a sterling engine? Um, compressed air motors. Uh, a Stirling engine is a form of a heat engine. The concept of it was invented in the 1800s um, by Robert Sterling. Basically, heat one end of it; hot air expands, cold air contracts. So the air inside of the motor stays inside the motor. You're just making it expand and contract. Very if cool. wants to go to our Instagram, you know they can see that running on our Instagram.
0: Okay, give me a little bit of. I, I'm trying to understand exactly the the format of it. So is it just one class? per year you teach? Is it, it goes for four years. How many semesters do they get to take of your class? Okay. So for the
1: the first year class, um, it's about an hour and a half long. So whether it's a block, one block at some schools or whether it's two periods, if it's a seven period school. So it's about an hour and a half in the morning. There's two classes in the morning. So two beginning classes. And then In the afternoon, then we have our second year class, our advanced class. That's where we do our engine project at. So the first year, the hour and a half each day, that's where we build the foundation. That's where we go and start out the manual machines, work our way through manual lays, manual mills, surface grinders, heat tree, EDM, even some polishing and and measurement along the way, Uh, doing all our inspection as we go. I don't like saying, hey, we're going to do inspection for three weeks we just mix that in along the way inspection can be pretty boring if you're just doing teaching that over and over again day in day out interesting it's it's very important but wow to make good parts you got to be good at inspecting your part you know so I joke around with the students I said you guys know where the textbook is they look around uh, back there I said oh there's machiner's handbooks are back there but where's the textbooks at and they're buried behind a bunch of other books right now. We haven't even gotten a textbook out all school year. And we're, you know, however many weeks into school. What's already. in the textbook? Dated information. <laughs> like it, what? The basics are in there. You know, the basics are in the, the textbook. But, you know, when you have. About what? Um, how, I don't know
0: what the basics
1: would oh, even be. Oh, OK. Um, feeds what and it would, speeds. And... Yeah. How you would calculate speeds and feeds. We do it in class. We do it at the machines. We do it you know, on the whiteboard. We do it live instead of reading through a chapter and trying to learn it from a book. Okay, Trigonometry, shop math, parts of a lathe, parts of a mill, all that that kind of stuff's in the textbook. My opinion is, you know, when it comes to a, say, a manual lathe, if a student can use a tailstock on a lathe and make awesome parts and, and utilize that tailstock in every way possible uh, by offsetting for taper and do whatever, does it really matter that they know what it's called? No. Yeah. So I know that will get a lot of people fired up. In turn, as they learn how to use it, the first few times it may be that, you know, can you show me how to do this one thing again on this one thing? And I'll joke, okay, that one thing on that one thing, how about you show me that one thing? And then I'll, I'll repeat, you know, it's a stock or whatever the part is over and over again. And then before you know it, they're calling parts by the right names. And so instead of memorizing mm-hmm. it in a textbook, we are on our feet learning. and that's. I think the key to the class that we're thinking on our feet all day long. Do you give them exams? We still have a few tests along the way. You know, we we do trigonometry. We do speeds and feeds. And we don't have as many tests as most classes do. And still, when it comes do you to, test them
0: to... Do you test them to make something on the lathe and see how it comes out? Their projects. Basically, I look as their projects
1: as being tests. You know, so if they can make a good project. okay. Then so I'm, you
0: grade them on projects. Oh, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. They do their own inspection. You know, so they'll make okay. the project according to print. They'll do their own inspection and complete a an inspection sheet. Then I will grade the part. You know, so I'll go through and inspect it. That's how I know whether they can measure right. Nice. And whether they can make a part right. You know, so they get points of whether they can hit the dimension Understood. and they get points of whether they measured it right. So that's why I tell them, don't lie about a dimension. You know, so if they know they measured wrong, (laughs) then they need to write down that wrong measurement and they still get some of their points because I know they can measure right.
0: Yes. When we go to contests, um, we don't spend a whole lot of time. on. What's that? I said everybody's, you know, preoccupied with grades and ratings or whatever. So you still grade, but it's more but you grade their projects and how well they do on them.
1: A project in my class is worth 200 points. A written test is worth 100 points, because as machinists, we're going to get paid for what we okay. do, not for what we can say we can do on a piece of paper.
0: Very interesting. So you mentioned that you have some good advisors, but I know that you have to deal with some people in the administration who who may not get it. What are your experiences with them? It, it sounds like a lot of the times you just say, well, it's, it's kind of my way or the highway. Is that is that <laughs> sort of what you... What you tell them? Well, not that way. When I get a new administrator,
1: I'm on my fourth superintendent, my fourth principal and fourth CT director. And I'm not afraid to say this on a podcast because they all know I've said it to their face. I try to be friendly and everything. And then I tell them, you know, you're not my boss. And the look on their face is priceless. You know, but then I explain, if I worry about trying to keep administration happy, I'm not going to be able to keep our customers happy. And the customers, as in places like Huger Pattern, Micro Precision, O&R Precision, LH Carbide, you know, it's just I could keep listing the companies. They're our customer. If we can't keep our customer happy, then I can't worry about keeping the, the bosses happy. You know, so instead of trying to keep the boss happy, keep your customers happy and the boss will know that, you know, you're doing your job and then that makes them happy. Right. You know, so know your customer. Our customer is not colleges. It's not the welfare office. It's not administration. It's not even the guidance counselor office, you know, to make sure their transcripts right. It's their career. I challenge my students to think about their customers and I challenge their customer to be their 40-year-old self. Because think about where you you were when you're 40 years old. You know, when you're 40 years old, you probably have a family. You probably have a house. You probably have kids. So what's it going to take to be successful at 40 years old? That makes an eighteen-year-old think about
0: things a little bit different. Do you have standardized tests that you have to give in your class? Do they hold you accountable in any kind of way, as far as a certain curriculum.
1: We have a NIMS test. It's National Institute of Metalworking Skills. So we do those. So that's kind of our measurement um, that we can go by. Uh, what are those? The is NIMS or like national micrometer, or is that like it's all on the computer? For the first test, it's all in the computer. Job planning, benchwork, layout, measurement, material, and safety are the two first tests you do. For the most part, there's a project you have to do and get 100% on. Otherwise, you do it again. And then you have to pass the test online to be able to get the certification. So we still do those. Um, We kind of do those as filler projects. So those, those are almost back of mind for us, just enough to...
0: Yeah. Be able to check boxes. So the kids have no trouble doing that after your own curriculum.
1: Right. Because we've we've done harder stuff, you know, to make an engine that runs, you know, your dimensions have to be right. Your your tolerances have to be right for the clearances to be right. Otherwise, things are going to lock up or not move or it's just not going (laughs) to work. We still get some students that tests are not their thing. Basic classroom stuff is not their cup of tea and they cannot pass those tests. They can do awesome on the projects, but you have to get the project and the test to get the certification. When it comes down to it, if I have a student that cannot get the certification, I don't care. As long as they can do the project, I can still get them a job. They can still have an awesome career. Just because they're not a good test taker doesn't make you a failure in machining and manufacturing. We get paid for what we produce. There's office people that take care of our paperwork. <laughs> let them take care of our paperwork and let us people that are better at the machines do our specialty.
0: Yes. So. How often do you get kids in the program that they get in there and they have a, a tough time and they start questioning, how is this is this kind of thing for me? Or I don't know, they're just not a great fit or they think they're not a great fit. Does that happen all the time? I mean, the way um, the way we talk about it right now Everything, the formula sounds amazing. You know, they build this stuff, they do the projects, they're very rewarded, then they get great jobs afterward. But I know that's it's hard work for them and for you. So how often does that happen? And are things difficult? And, and how, you know, how do you deal with that? And are you usually successful at riding the ship? Give me a few examples of that.
1: Um, math is usually the, the hurdle for some students, you know, because in, in machining, we use a lot of math, mm. just simple calculations sometimes are a struggle um, for some students. Um, some of them do catch on because we try to keep things as simple as possible. You know, when it comes to trigonometry, there's two main formulas will get you through a large percentage of trig in the real world, <laughs> in, in the machine shop. You know, so we don't have to do what math classes do. You know, we, we can concentrate on what you're going to use in the real world. And some students just don't get it. And, and the nice thing about it is if I can get them as a sophomore or junior, they still have time to look at other careers. You know, and then the ones that do get it, they can be back for their senior year um, to lead right into their career. Um, I can usually break the class down into thirds. Um, And I don't know if other machining classes would would say the same thing, but a third of the class, the third of the students that sign up for the class are heading to go be engineers or something engineering related, whether it's college or whether it's manufacturing engineer or whatever. A third are going to go straight to industry as machinist on the machine, setting up machines, programming, doing whatever. And then a third. Well, I hope they're good at something. (laughs) <laughs> um, they're, they're going to be good taxpaying members of society. Um, they may be working in a production shop where they hit the green button and change parts. Maybe, you know, doing something. But to be a true machinist that give me the print, give me the machine, give me the tools, get out of my way. That's going to be a struggle for some of them. But there's going to be something they can be good yeah. at. And if they want to stay in manufacturing, I've had some students, they've struggled at making good parts. I've had students that struggled at the, the book side, the math side, because they like to get their hands dirty. They like to work on things. One career that most guidance counselors never even heard of that I suggest to them is rigging. Somebody's got to move the machines and set them up. <laughs> and if they That's like true. to work around machines and they like to get their hands dirty and they know kind of how things need to move and stuff, and they kind of understand a little bit about real life physics, um, they could be a really awesome rigger which I'm sure you know, <laughs> pays pretty darn good, <laughs> but it doesn't show up on a guidance yeah. counselor's radar. Yeah.
0: Well, are the kids motivated for the most part in your class because it's kind of a choice that they go to your class? Yeah, that, that helps that it is a an optional class.
1: Some of them, they need the credit to graduate. Mm-hmm. They don't need the class, but they need the credit to graduate. You know, So that motivates them to get at least a good enough grade to get the credit, even if they're struggling. Um, But yeah, for the most part, they chose the class, they want to do good at it, and they start to see that they don't have to sit in a desk to learn. And that we do most of our learning not in the classroom.
0: That gives you an advantage over a just a math teacher or an English teacher where they're very well likely are forced into that (laughs) class. So even though maybe they still feel like they're forced to be in school, do you feel like that gives you somewhat of an advantage because this is somewhat their... Ownership yeah,
1: of it. I know every teacher of classes like this hear the same thing. So it's not just me from parents that the only reason my kid goes to school is for your class. You know, we hear that stuff over and over again um, because they did find their That's gotta place has got to be amazing. Yeah. But, you know, some English teachers and math teachers and social say they hear the same thing. It's just for some of these students that haven't really found their place until they got into manufacturing machining, this may be the first time they really felt at home, you know, where they can use their hands and use their brain and and not have to prove it on a piece of paper. They can prove it with a part.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that uh, wages for people in the trades and particularly for machining, do you think they're where they should be? Are they attractive enough? My personal opinion is that the wages haven't kept up with inflation and supply and demand. You have a lot of people complaining about not finding people and not finding enough kids that want to go into the industry. And you go, well, would you work for X wage? You know, what's your opinion on that? I, I feel like things are sort of somewhere in the middle as far as that, but you know what we always say is, all right. Well, if you're interested in working with your hands, if you're interested in working with the in, in the trades, why would you want to go do precision machining when you could become a heating and air conditioning person and make a hundred grand right out of school? Do you feel like there's there's a disconnect?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think there is. Now now, don't get me wrong. We in, in our area we are <laughs> uh, a low cost of living. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, so yeah. we're very rural. So, but still, you know, we have machinists in our area making $80,000 a year, you know, no college degree and have a, a 40 hour week, you know, so, you know, maybe just a little bit. Right. And
0: 80,000 a year in your area is probably like a hundred in another area. Exactly. Some
1: shops are slow. Um, they'll start them pretty low just to make sure they do have the work ethic and show up every day and pass a drug test and all that kind of stuff. But I tell the students that you're either there to learn or you're there to earn. You know, so if you're there to learn, so you're the low man on the totem pole, learn everything you can, learn all the machines. The the earnings gonna pay off in the long run. And I have students all the time. They they come back um, for open house or whatever, and I'll say, okay, just between you and me, how much are you making? You know, because I I like to stay mm-hmm. up on that. And 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 I'm not afraid to tell them that <clears throat> you may want to go talk to your boss or go find a different job. So that, that keeps the shops honest, you know, that, that they are keeping up. We are surrounded by awesome shops. We don't do a lot of production work, production machining, you know, so the machines that you specialize in, um, there's there's not a whole lot of shops in our area that, that have that. We're more doing like low, job, low volume, high mix. Yeah. You know, so we're more job shop down in our area. So that takes a higher skill level.
0: You know, what so, do you mean then? Like lathes and mills, that kind of thing you're saying versus? What yeah. Yeah. Just CNC lathes, CNC
1: machining centers, um, boring mills. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, maybe 30, 40 parts, you know, where you talk on the podcast a lot, your indexes and your transfer machines and everything right. where you're doing a hundred thousand parts. One of our biggest production shops in the area, they do 7,000 parts a day. You know that's that's a production shop mm-hmm. in our area. They make a lot of metal chips, but it's seven thousand of the same parts each day. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're very specialized um, with what we do. The pay is good. Um, you you brought up HVAC, um, and that comes up a lot. I look at it this way: in the heat of the summer, when they're trying to fix somebody's air conditioner, we're still inside where it's climate controlled. In the dead of winter, when they're trying to, right. you know, maybe climb up in an attic or underneath a, a house, we're still inside climate controlled. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of yeah, benefits. It of being on machines. what shop. You know, I love being outside. What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> Do you think that the type of model that your school has and your school system has, you think that it could be theoretically, I mean, it, it seems like it could be scaled and, you know, nationwide in some way.
1: If the instructor is willing to put in a lot of hours, <laughs> um, I give away everything. Uh, if you go to our website, you can just search South Adams Machine Trades. All the demo videos for our first year, first semester project, all our prints, all our inspection sheets, all our demo videos are online. Doesn't cost anybody anything. Anybody wants to learn machining, get get a good foundation built. There's no Steven Spielberg production. I'm no Brad Pitt, but you know it's they get the point across. For the only thing I don't give away is the engine prints that the students design. I look at that as their engine. It's their property. It's not for me to give away. I've had um, people email and I just send them links. I send them whatever. We had an advisor, an instructor in Indiana was in a bad car wreck a few years ago, was in the hospital. His principal got a hold of all of us teachers in the state and said, hey, we've got a sub, but they don't know machining. Can anybody help? So I just sent him a link to our website and that kept their class going. You know, so they used our prints, our videos. So, yeah, but it, the it, thing it is, could be transferred.
0: There's oh, you're, so you're saying this it's it's for other teachers. They could take your curriculum from it. But yeah I, yeah, I mean, it's just not the same as having something structured in place like yours. I mean, I know that you basically designed and built what you do in a, in a way. Yes, you took it from somebody else and you ran with it. But it seems like just theoretically more school districts around the country could do something like this if they had the right guidance
1: yeah. You think I'm structured in the way I say that. People think I'm structured when they see I what we do. They think we're structured. We are probably the most unstructured classes
0: out there um, because I try mm-hmm. to run it like the real world. So you've been doing this 25 years. Uh, 24. 24. You know, how have you seen it? the kids change? You know, everybody likes to complain about the newer generation. Oh, they don't have attention span or whatever. Or Are you seeing a lot of, you know, I know there's a lot of exposure to this kind of stuff on YouTube, you know, in a way we're living in a, in a time of, of a lot of do it yourself as far as teaching yourself, et cetera. What are some of the, the bad trends you're seeing and the good trends you're seeing as far as kids these days and their influences, et cetera? Start with the bad and then go with the good. I think
1: students nowadays still think they have to go to college be a success. I still think they're hearing that too many places. I've seen a lot of students, which everybody probably agree with, spend too much time on the screen. But as a CNC programmer, we need to spend a lot of time on the screen. So we just need to kind of manipulate that screen time from video games to things like Esprit or Fusion 360 or Mastercam or things that are productive screen time. So those are probably some of the biggest things that I see that that's a hurdle. Kids or, or young people nowadays, for the most part, they think the answer's in the book. And this machining's real life. you know. So the answer is not in the book all the time. Yeah, we need to look up speeds and feeds. Yes, we need to use the book for clearances and fits and allowances. Yes, we need to use a book for this and that. You think that that's you know, changed? But-
0: that's something that's changed uh, yeah, in the last two yeah, decades or is that basically the same?
1: No, I think that's really changed. I think that when I first started teaching, we spent maybe 15 minutes on how to read a steel roll. Twenty years ago, you know, students were still working with dad, grandpa, uncle, you know, whatever, you know, building stuff. You know, nowadays it's go hire somebody to do it. Well, who are you gonna hire? You know, if nobody can do it. <laughs> we have to teach a lot more of the basics because there's no longer quote unquote shop class in most schools, you know, to teach the basics. So we're starting out from ground zero instead of assuming they know how to read a tape measure, assuming that they know sharp pieces can catch you. you. know, So we spend a lot of time on safety, a lot of time on the basics to make sure that when we do go out in the shop, it is going to be safe and they are going yeah. to be productive.
0: So, Are kids as good of listeners now as they were back then? Or are they better?
1: I always joke around the, the vast majority of my class is ADD, ADHD, but then again, so is their instructor. So <laughs> so it's all fair that way. They're an but Has it INTJ. changed? Is it the same? The attention span has gotten shorter, but okay. since we're moving around a lot and we're constantly moving from one thing to another, if you get the most ADD kid in the machine shop and you get them hooked on what you're doing and they get interested... They have some of the longest attention spans you've ever seen. You know, once they get hooked, it's just in the normal classroom. The the classroom teachers, yeah, they're not required to sit in a desk. I have some kids that never sit in a desk. They walk in and they stand the whole time. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. You know, even if we're doing a classroom lecture, you know, they could be standing. Well, I'm standing too. So what's the big deal? Yeah. Um. So yeah, attention spans and changed. Then, the basics have changed.
0: Okay. And what is the best thing you've seen about this new generation?
1: Um, some of them's not scared of technology. Um, some of them's not scared to hit that button on the machine. There are still some that they're worried about, you know, breaking the machine or breaking something. But some of them, when we set down on the CAD CAM software, they'll just go crazy with it. You know, where in the past that used okay. to be something that they would struggle with.
0: Do you have anything else you'd like to say to the people of the world? This has been fantastic.
1: Just want to thank everybody that does help out their local schools. Uh, We all need it. When I do leave the school, that's one thing. I won't ever be able to just leave education. I know I will have to stay with helping whoever takes my place and whoever the local schools are. So if you're in manufacturing, Find out who your local teacher is. Get to know them on a first-name basis. Give them your cell phone number for when they have problems. And don't be afraid to bug them because you're probably not bugging them. Sometimes we need that real-life, full-time machinist to talk to just to have some adult conversation. Fantastic.
0: Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Noah. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app, and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com.